Salam and welcome to another TMV podcast brought to you by the Muslim Vibe. As always, I'm your host, Salim Qasim. And this week, I'm joined by Mikdad Versi. Um, Mikdad is involved with the Muslim Council of Britain and the Center for, Mus- for Media Monitoring. Um, initially, I wanted to have a conversation about both of those two entities, but we kind of started talking about the media stuff. Um, and got um, lost in that huge web and conversation um, there. But in a nutshell, we're talking this week about um, the work that he's done initially on his own, um, withholding the media to account and you know sending in uh, complaints about the framing of stories concerning Muslims and Islamophobia and everything else, um, and how that has then evolved into like an entire organization that has staff that are doing this on a regular basis. But also importantly about the impact that this has um, because I think and even like I was quite shocked at some of the things that he mentioned in the conversation and some of the examples and, and practical stories that he gave of journalists who have changed or who have started to see things differently as a, res- as a direct result of the work that's being done. Um, and yeah, without further ado, here's my conversation with Mikdad. Salam Mikdad. Thanks Salam. Uh, thank you for joining me on the podcast today. I'm actually surprised um, that this is the first time you're appearing on the podcast. And I think you're, I, I don't know why it hasn't happened sooner, to be honest, because we've known each other for uh, many, many years. I, I can't even put a number on it. Um, and, and I think we've both kind of gone on to do some very different things from when we first met. Um, and, and I think to to start off with, um, you're probably now a bit of a, a a superstar in the Muslim community in the UK, like a minor celeb. Um, you you've you've been on what Good Morning Britain with Piers Morgan. You're involved with the MCB. You know you you've you've been in the media quite a lot. And I think you know one one of the times when I when I initially started to realise just how much kind of um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? But you know how, how much steam I guess the momentum is kind of building around the work that you're doing was when pretty much every media outlet in the UK covered the, the media monitoring work that you've been doing. Um, so I, I think just to start off with, can you kind of run me through what that is, how that came about and where that all came from? Yeah, of course. Like, so firstly, right now it's team, so it's not just me, but uh, let, let's start where, where it came from. Initially, well, many of us have always thought about how the, the way that the media reports about Islam and Muslims is an issue. It's a problem. It's not great. It has major challenges associated with it. But let's say about five years ago, the amount of work that was being done to resolve this seemed to be quite little. Mm. And so what I thought, uh, I saw a story on, a, um, uh, on the Mail on Sunday, which said, Muslim gang does X, Y, and Z. And I was like, What's going on here? How can you say this is Muslim gang? I looked at the story. There was no justification to say it's Muslim. These guys can be Christian. They can be Jewish. They can be from any background. We didn't know that. Um, and why are they saying it's a Muslim gang who, who attacked this um, police van? Um, so I decided to say, to say, what can I do about it? So I sent a simple complaint. Um, and that complaint then, I mean, this was me doing it in a personal capacity. Just, you know, I, I was Assistant Secretary General for Muslim Council of Britain, but I wasn't doing this in any real formal capacity of just sending a note to and um so, uh if so then got was was the key um regulator at the time they basically said this is a potential issue so they got the mail on sunday involved 
and the, and the managing editor of the Mail on Sunday called me up, well, not called me up, but responded to this email saying, let's catch up for a couple of hours to discuss this. So I said, well, me meeting with the managing editor of the Mail on Sunday after one single complaint. Um, and so I, I was like, okay, this is, this is fantastic. Let's do this. So I then spent two weeks every night um, finding everything that the Mail on Sunday has done, which is problematic, collating it all, making sure I have a strong dossier that I can go to them and talk through them about, and then, and then meet this guy. Because I didn't want to just, if, it, if you get given an opportunity to make an impact, yeah. by not doing something with that impact, you, 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 that, that's a failure, I think, in, in, in some respects. Um, it's not, not everyone has the time to do it, so I don't think that's, that's fair. But, but wherever it's possible, we should try and use the platforms we're given as, in as effective a way as possible. So I then said, let, let me meet with them. Sorry, so just, just, just to be clear, I, I'm assuming they don't address every complaint with a let's sit down and, and have a coffee. No, it's probably of because of the work that you've been doing with the well, MCB, no, this, right? But this was, uh, it's probably because I, I mentioned that I was involved with the Muslim Council of Britain. That might be the reason why he, he sent it, but it's definitely yeah. not the case that they, they respond to all um, complaints in, in that way. But I think um, uh, may, for whatever reason, he wanted to meet with me. And from that single complaint, he wanted to meet. And that actually started a relationship with him, which I've continued to this very day. Um, but at, you know, I met with him, we talked through it. He agreed that it was a major issue. He, he agreed that this was something that seemed it was likely to have been Muslims because it was in a certain area where the majority of the population was Muslim, but he couldn't prove it. He realized that that was an unfair way of saying it because what's their Muslimness got to do with it? It's got nothing to do with the actual gang issue. It was an immigration issue, nothing to do with someone being Muslim or not. And he realized that someone used the term Muslim for a purpose and that purpose was not appropriate in this case. So there was a recognition of that. And <clears throat> he said, look, I got this, we got this wrong, hands up. I'm going to have a relationship with you going forward. Uh, I'm going to make sure we, 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 we look at this stuff and I'm, I'm very happy to have an ongoing ish, um, uh, relationship. If there are other issues, let me know and we can try and resolve them and make sure they don't happen in the, in the future. So that started it all. And, and I, wrote a, and I wrote my first ever piece in The Guardian on the back of that, um, uh, talking about this issue. So that's where it all started from. And then when I noticed that, I said, look, well, look, if I can send an email uh, and a complaint and I can get that kind of impact, which, which, which at least to, to, at that stage was something which I thought was huge. How, you know, this is something that could have a real impact and, and change things for the better constructively. Mm. So then I said, okay, let me, let me see how I can best take things forward. Um, and I said, let me start looking at every story that has Islam or Muslim associated with it using Google. So I went on Google search terms last, last 24 hours, uh, uh, Muslim or Islam, from Daily Mail side, from um, the Sun side, from the Times, etc. Literally just doing that, half an hour every day, very, very informal, there's no structure to it, there's no, and started looking at all of those um, articles. And I started finding more and more examples of ridiculous pieces. Uh, yeah. And I started to make some complaints. I then realized, you know what, I need to do this a bit more formally. So a, a friend of mine had an outsourcing center in, in Europe, and he suggested that I, um, use his team to actually do that work for me, um, to actually pull all the data. So I have a list of all the articles and websites every morning in my inbox, which have Islam or Muslim or anything like that, nice. which I can then look at and decide what to do with it, or whether to do yeah. anything with it. And then I started, you know, and, and that spreadsheet then became uh, uh, the spreadsheet I kept on using. So, uh, which, which then, uh, you know, I'd highlight the ones which are complaints and worthy of a complaint. I'd make a complaint, it would be great. And so from that, it all snowballed. 
And then I started getting a large number of examples where people recognized it was an issue and, and corrected it. Um, and I started to get... Um, uh, but and, and if I, I can... Yeah. So, sorry to cut you off because I, I, I know I know like it's <laughs> I know when you start talking you can you can keep going right but one thing that I want to um, just at this point right when it comes to the damage that's done by the content I think this is what what's frustrating for a lot of people and even like you know I've seen you because because I remember when it first started out and you were first doing this I was blessed to be on your whatsapp distribution broadcast list and received, um, you know, almost daily, you were saying, oh, look, we've had this corrected on this website. The BBC have changed this. The, um, the Sun have changed that. And whilst I, 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 it's significant and it's so important that the media or the content goes out in the way that you've kind of um, corrected them too. But I feel like the damage is already done. Of course. Um, and, and also, sorry, one, one more thing is that, you know, whilst the, the, the editor that you met with, for example, acknowledged, for example, that, all right, yes, you know, this was incorrect and I can see that there were issues with it. That wasn't the, the last time that, that these issues have come up. Um, and and it's, it's like whilst there is that kind of on a one to one, maybe that concern and care, I think people feel like what's the point? Because there's this kind of consistent um dehumanization of muslims and 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 you know all the islamophobia and everything else that we see and, and stuff that you've been pointing out for the last few years so how 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 do you kind of reconcile that with what you're doing In brilliant question really important question one that i need to make sure I, I i explain properly the purpose of these complaints was was strategic this is not about me just doing these complaints for no reason this was about um, media organizations recognizing and understanding that somebody and some people are monitoring the news. And when they know that they're monitoring, that leads to a change in behavior. Now, is there a change in behavior? And this is a real difficult question. Mm. Um, has it been successful? Has it actually led to stuff? Well, we don't see, uh, if you were to compare the number of notes that I used to send in those early days, which was almost weekly, to be honest, like it was Many, multiple um, things coming out on a regular basis to how many are happening right now from the Center for Media Monitoring when we have a team in place doing this, it's, it's like night and day. There are far fewer examples now than there were then. Now, Really? Yes. I, I thought you just stopped broadcasting them. No. <laughs> this is not as many no. instances. There are not as many instances. So what I am trying to say, and this is really, and, and I can give you three or four anecdotes which help help. You, you can never prove this. You, this stuff is not provable. This is only some, uh, what we can do is we can show certain things that get better through time um, in terms of number of complaints. But what, what really, I mean, and, and if we have another few years, we'll have a, enough of a data stream to be able to prove some of this point, these points. But there are fewer complaints that are happening. And we have stronger relationships with some of these people. And some of the actual way that terminology is used is better than it was five years ago. I, I can go through each one of these in turn, but let me give you three anecdotes which can really help um, facilitate this. One is from um, uh, a, a, a university uh, session where there was a panel discussion about media Islamophobia, right? And I was on the panel and someone who was previously, I think in the Daily Star editor was on the panel as well. We didn't know each other, we were just there. On that session, he was speaking and he said, you know what, one of the things I would like to highlight with you guys is that there's, there's, there are people who, who monitor the media. There's this one guy, I don't know who he is, but he monitors everything to do with Islam and Muslims. And now we have to be very careful about what we do now. 
and we're being careful and we, we I don't know who this guy is, but what, you know, this is something that's really important and, and we need to be careful of this. And I was like, <laughs> I'm on the panel with him and this, happened, this is happening. And that's what we want to happen. If people recognize that someone is, is keeping an eye, it matters. Let me give you a second example. Um, the, one of the newspapers, um, they had this really poor title saying Spanish supermarket, um, uh, gunman shouts Allahu Akbar um, in a Spanish supermarket, right? And it was a terror threat. It was, it was framed as. It was actually nothing to do. That it was a Basque um, terrorist. It was someone from the separatist group, the, the Basque group, speaking, sorry, speaking in Basque, not speaking in Arabic. So it was nothing to do with it. It was a completely made up story. But what had happened was this had been sourced from one of the um, far right news agencies and they didn't check it or anything like that. And it just, and for me, I looked at it and it sounded weird. So I checked up and got some Spanish friends who knew Spanish and, and it was all resolved. And I found out it was wrong. They, they retracted it, but they, they thought it was, oh, we just made an error. That was how they framed it. Uh, a few weeks later, they did the same thing again with a gunman shouting Allahu Akbar and it wasn't, and it wasn't the case. They were, I, I, I relayed my concern to them quite vociferously and strongly because they, they built a relationship with them. And I said, look, we've, we've talked about this two weeks ago. You said it was a mistake. You said this was, a, and you did it again. They retracted within minutes. That's fine. But I said, what, what, what went wrong with you? How could you say one thing to me and you're not doing it again? What, have you not changed your processes? Uh, do I trust you? If you're not going to do this, maybe we, you know, this relationship isn't something that's, that's valuable. And then what happened is they said, you know what? We're really sorry. They, they were really apologetic, etc. A few weeks later, there was another incident. That person did shout Allahu Akbar. And it was an incident where even the BBC actually led with it being uh, said, uh, Allah was mentioned. And this news outlet was actually didn't mention Allah throughout the whole piece. And I was like, okay, it's interesting. They did eventually, a day later, and you'll know in news what a day later means, they added it within the article, but they were after the BBC. Okay? And what this meant. But, but, but that, that's not a good thing, in my opinion. No, like, what this means is they did God. due diligence before they put it in. Mm. I don't think there's a problem if someone says that this, this, this person actually did shout Allah Akbar. It shouldn't be the lead for a piece, but I understand why it should be within a piece if it's actually happened, because it's part of what happened and, and people relate to the, to the narrative of the story. I, I think that there are different views as to whether it's at all relevant, but I think you could argue it is relevant and it's not something where I can, I can have a this is outrageous position. I mean, but it's, and it was, remember, it was embedded in a piece, updated later. There's a very difference to it being the lead on the front headline of a new story, which hasn't been validated. And yeah. that is a material change in that newspaper. And, and, and I think a very, very valuable change because they've done due diligence. Well, the most important thing we're talking about here, the two areas, one is accuracy, get it right. And two, don't be biased in the way you actually relay it. And both of those areas are places where some of these outlets have made material movements. And I think that's a very good thing to happen. The third anecdote, and small one, is Trevor Kavanagh. He's someone who, who wrote on In the Sun, and he said, I now have to be treading on eggshells when I speak about issues to the Islam and Muslims because of this, uh, the ever-vigilant, eagle-eyed Mikdad Versi. And he mentioned this in the Sun. What I'm trying to say here is that he said he has to tread on eggshells. And I'm saying, good. When he writes on Islam and Muslims, tread on eggshells, be careful, do your due diligence, check what you're doing. Don't put lies out there because otherwise you'll get called out. And, the, and the, some of the worst 
perpetrators have recognized this and now are being at least careful in ensuring what they put out is at least accurate. Now that's a step beyond what was happening before. And now the question really is about framing, about narrative building. And these are really harder ones to deal with mm. and, and, and have a particular issue. But let's just remember the far right individuals who used to share a lot of these false stories they can't share those false stories anymore. They can't do that because, and they're not doing them partly because they're not on social media anymore, but they used to share a lot of these false stories. And now the number of false stories that can be shared is much less. And you don't see them sharing as much. That's but, 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 yeah. but, but, but like you said, when it comes to, to I mean, there's two things, two kind of different strands I want to discuss here. First is, is the, the narrative element, which you said is a much wider and much more difficult discussion because, for example, if a... Muslim gunman goes in and, and does something and it's not even related to Islam the fact that he's Muslim is a fact and that fact is often reported whereas if it's a, a Christian gunman who's non-ethnic none of that's ever covered right so what you'll notice is is a, a lot of different changes actually that have happened so mm. we've done as the center for media monitoring uh, you know after I built this up I actually you know people started realizing the impact there were uh, charities and, and uh, grant bodies who were willing to fund. And so we set up something called the Center for Media Monitoring, which is looking at this stuff. And we have staff members who are doing this rather than me doing it on the side of my desk at midnight, right? So now it's done properly. Um, we actually have, have analyzed how the media reports on terrorism. How does it report on, and, and what we have seen is there is a change. You know, they, they, they very, very rarely say Muslim terrorist almost non-existent in any mainstream newspaper or Muslim extremist. There are the, 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 they may, there are a couple who say Islamist extremists, but even then they're, they're, they're exceptions rather than the rule. Very often that descriptor is not used. Um, and secondly, what you see also is that a recognition that terrorism is terrorism regardless of the perpetrator, mm. there is a greater understanding of that, especially post-Christchurch. Um, and, and what we have done is we had um, two roundtable discussions with senior decision makers and um, journalists and managing editors, etc., on how the media reports on far right extremism, um, or whatever they wanted to do on the far right, I think is how we framed it. And the second session, which was how was on our terrorism report. So those are two things. And what we, what we, and we spoke to all of these guys and we tried to get to them. So why are you not referring to these guys in terrorists? What are the issues here? And we we've been able to show that there's been some movement and there's been advice that we've given, some of which has been taken up and agreed on by, by, by people at, the, uh, at senior news organizations and some things which we still disagree with and we're still trying to make things move better on. Um, so I, I don't think it's as clear a way as saying, you know, it's, it's how, you know, if it's a Muslim terrorist, it, it, that person's called Muslim and if they're not, they're not. That, that's rare for them to use a Muslim, but sometimes it's, it's implicit. Right. Because they say, you know, the person's name or the, the picture and the person's name or, or, or something about it. Or they say where it's derived from and, and, and you come to that conclusion. I think the real question is, do they give it the same prominence? Do they give yeah. a, a, the, an attack where, which is perpetrated by Muslims versus something which is are they given similar prominence? And the big thing here is that in America and in France and other parts of Europe, they're really, really bad at this. So a policeman will say, we don't think this is terrorism, for example, in America, even if it is a far-right terrorist who's done this, a white supremacist who's done it, they will say that, and the BBC will report it because a, a police person has said it. So it's not, I mean, some of these things are, are a bit more subtle than it being 
implicit or explicit Islamophobia. It's more about, well, they're relaying what this guy has said, but in, in that country, the culture hasn't been such that they've recognized the issue as much. In the UK, mm. the police don't say that and are actually very clear on that. And you won't see that same issue there. So do you see, like, I would say there has been movement, there has been success, there is engagement, which is, which is leading to value. Is it resolving things? We don't have as many front page issues than we used to have. We have far fewer complaints which are being, um, which are, which are changing. But the some of the narratives are still there. Some of the, um, the, the, the issues that, that come up are there. But th those have other solutions associated with them. They're about having more Muslims in the media to be able to, to write different narratives out there. There's also the situation where you have some of these people who are putting false stuff out in terms of like a, a report that Quillian Foundation, for example, did on, on grooming gangs and in relation to Muslimness, which was just debunked and seen as, but the point is they put it out there and, and people are gonna report when, when, when think tanks uh, put stuff out, they're going to report. It's, if we have more Muslims in all of these spaces, we can debunk that much more quickly and hopefully get a, uh, a story on that to say, actually, this is a lot of nonsense rather than having to wait a year until Ella Cockbain, who's fantastic, comes out and explains why it's all nonsense. And then actually uh, the Home Office saying it's nonsense, which came, which came out later. Like, th there is a question here which is much broader. Mm. If you talk about misrepresenting and mis bad journalism, there are other groups out there who have far greater resources to ensure that in all of these places, a lot more is done proactively to ensure that the understanding is there. And what, you know, the, the one area that I'm coming from in the Center for Media Monitoring is the specific element of reporting and, and the quality of the reporting and fair reporting and, 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 and constructive engagement to, to, to change things for the better. And that's kind of what we've had some success with, but there's a long journey and, and I, I don't so, pretend otherwise. So, so I, I think the, the frustration for me, and this is the second point, I, I mentioned there were two different areas I wanted to discuss. The frustration for me is what the fallout is for the media organizations when they are misreporting. So let's say The Sun, for example, the one in five Muslims uh, want jihad or whatever that stupid headline was back in the day. That was, you know, one of those huge um, stories when everyone's like, this is complete nonsense from within the Muslim community. And, and rightly so, the, the apology came through. But again, what, what, what commonly happens is that these are very small apologies that are put on page 57, whatever. Now, I want to understand, and I'm sure you'd have a better understanding of this, but what actually are the repercussions for media entities when they get a story wrong? And, and also, why, why is Ipso, why are the governing bodies not putting the pressure that you're having to put on to protect Muslim interests? If if we're looking for a, a free and fair and impartial media or whatever, you know, whatever we're, we're, we're trying to get out there, but just generally having that, um, ensuring, I guess, the, the fairness is, is the main thing here, right? Actually making sure that stories are reported correctly and, and are addressed, but why is it that it took for yourself to actually actively step in to start making a change for people to start being weary? Like, is there not like a three strike system and then you get, you know, the newspaper just has to shut down? I think I, I, I would love that. <laughs> so the way that the regulatory landscape works and the way that they would argue it is that mm. there is something under IPSO which says that if you are systematically breaching the code, you can have an investigation done against you and, um, and then huge fines can be um, given to you. So that's the, 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 the ultimate um, punishment that's, yeah. that's currently potentially on the table. That's never been used. 
Okay, so far. Um, and the question Can, can is, I ask you a question? Would, would, would you, in your opinion, do you think there's grounds that it should have been used by now? So I've been, so, so I, I think that Ipsos should do a standards investigation about the presses, the, the, the written presses um, reporting on racism and the racism within the press. And they should come up with, uh, um, they should do a, an investigation and they should find um, newspapers if they see that there has been a standards breach. So I think that, that they that Ipso themselves should do that. The problem we have is that their threshold mm. by which they look at this is breaches of the code. So they're saying if there is systematically breaches of the code which are um, which are identified, so say for example, 10 breaches of the code by one publication in a short period of time about one issue, then that demonstrates um, um, something that needs to be looked at, okay? The problem is, in terms of actual breaches of the code which are identified, you know, the number, let's say for example, uh, most of the newspapers have like three or four a year which are actually identified as formal breaches because most of the time they settle it before it becomes an actual formal breach. So you have a situation where the structure doesn't give way to this easily being identified as an issue. So if so, I believe needs to proactively look at stuff to be able to come to a conclusion. Um, they unfortunately aren't tasked or their terms of reference don't allow them to make their own investigation. So the question is, can someone come up and say, here is a news outlet, look at what they've done, they should be looked at and investigated. The problem is that it's hard to demonstrate that scale of, of um, inaccuracies and breaches of the code because those are normally a smaller proportion of the total issues with that paper. So they don't investigate when the narrative is awful. They don't investigate if the, which, which for us really matters, right? Um, and, and, and that, you know, they don't investigate comment pieces which are come from a ridiculous anti-Muslim perspective because that doesn't breach what their code is. So we have a limited abil availability to have that sanction used. Should that sanction be used more broadly? Uh, it's difficult to, to justify a sanction being used on, on comment pieces and opinion pieces and narratives, it's harder because it has a lot of ramifications. I think what, what needs to happen really is newspaper outlets recognizing this and changing and not but propagating the stuff. Can, can I ask though, why, why would they change? I, I mean, you've, you've got a lot I agree, of and that's the problem we live. We live in a free society where, these, where the spectator can put out nonsense like they do yeah. on a regular basis all the times and they put out stuff and people believe it. But I can't see, in a, in a free society, I don't think that a newspaper should be sh shut down because they have ridiculous opinions. What I do think should happen, though, is that they, those opinions should be exposed for what they are. I think it's really important that more people, as much as is reasonably possible, need to be aware that, for example, if a story comes in the Times about Islam or Muslims, don't rely on it because it, its narrative is likely to be really dodgy and it might actually even be false because there are lots of examples of falsity. Now, what I would say then, the problem we have is if society as a whole have such anti-Muslim views embedded within it, and you can look at lots of polling which talks about it, mm. it's hard for you to justify that that perspective is not within newspapers in that narrative. Unfortunately, how do we stop that? 
I mean, we, we can't be in a situation where the government or a regulator says, sorry, you can't put this, um, not inaccurate, but this dodgy narrative, because the narratives are very difficult to police. How do, how do you police a narrative? What we need to do is get more people in these institutions to try and stop them doing it in the first place, highlight when they go uh, uh, beyond the uh, um, accuracy and start breaching what, what you know, a line, genuinely lying, so, and stop that entirely. The and thing I, is, yeah. I'm sorry, I, I was going to say, I, it feels like uh, very much like an egg and chicken type situation. Because on the one hand, like growing up, interestingly, I, I only became significant in my head now because I understand the context of this. But, you know, in my household, we used to get the Daily Mail. Um, and, and, and for a long time, that was my only, and also bear in mind, given our age, um, that, that was, you know, the only engagement I had alongside TV with, with the news and the media and the outside world, pretty much. So the worldview that it painted about immigrants and about health and about, uh, you know, all everything that's going on in the world was skewed towards that particular understanding and narrative. And I think what's unfortunate then is that when you look at, and, and sorry, interestingly, again, you know, you talk about literacy in this area. It was only when I remember um, starting to take public transport more, picking up the metro and being like, oh, you know, what? I like the metro more. Like it's a, it's a, it's a, it makes me feel nicer than reading stuff from the Daily Mail because the Daily Mail is just so horrible. Um, but only now do I kind of understand the significance of, of, of what the Daily Mail like almost trying to do. But, but I think, you know, the, the question or, or what I'm trying to understand is how, how can kind of the everyday Muslim start to engage and understand the, the nuanced differences between media and reporting? Because there's another thing where you look at, you know, the, um, I can't remember the figures off the top of my head, but there was stuff about this a few years ago about when uh, a terrorist attack is perpetrated by a Muslim it's uh, reported on, I think, 400 times more than attacks by non-Muslims. That number is not a legit number. I just made that up. But you know what I mean? There is a exponentially higher number um, than when it's a non-Muslim. So how, how do we navigate that? Because like you said, narrative is a really sticky point and it's really difficult. Um, and I think that's where a lot of people struggle because yeah. if, if you're just looking at things in, in, in one dimension or one direction, it becomes difficult. So the way you do this is by ensuring that the decision makers, as much as is possible, um, for those who are willing to listen, and again, this is a challenge because they may not listen, right? For those yeah. who are willing to listen, and there are some who are willing to listen, for those guys, make sure that you can highlight this stuff and prove it to them. So I, we were in roundtables where people didn't really, their, their mind was actually really aligned. So let's, let me ask you, let, let me relay this point. Do you think as a journalist, your role as a journalist is to just report something or is your role as a journalist to report something and think about the consequences of that reporting and um, therefore potentially give the appropriate context or change your reporting to ensure that the, con the consequences, the negative consequences um, about for a community, etc., are appropriately dealt with so that the journalist that you've put across and the reporting you've done doesn't have those negative consequences. Now, that latter point about actually thinking about the consequences of your reporting actually is a view that was held by 16 out of 17 journalists, I believe, in, the, in our first roundtable, and I think 95% of the journalists in our second roundtable. And so what, what was interesting is there was a, a broad acceptance, not from everyone, but almost consensus, that it's not just about reporting news, it's about thinking about the consequences. Now, if that is a broadly understood piece, 
then the question comes, well, why don't you see that what you've done in these cases doesn't align with that? Yeah. And so that's exactly what we did. We, we asked them first. And then what we did is we put the data in front of them. We said, look at this terrorist attack. This is what happened. Look at this terrorist attack, which is very similar. But what's different? Why did this have a front page story and these three articles about it? And why did this story only reported on this month? And we, we basically did case study after case study in our terrorism report so that nobody can argue that that's not the case anymore. We've got the evidence in front of everyone. Okay. Now, the question is, did anyone do anything about that? Well, we think that people have appreciated that now. So that argument that we, we had that argument by, with people who actually were, would be on our side, if you like, like are, are good people. They're not, they're not agenda-driven anti-Muslim bigots. Mm. They're people who actually are in journalism and actually don't want to hurt and harm people, but felt and understood that they were doing an okay job, but they didn't realize it. And you know, you, you, some people talk about this being unconscious bias. Some people use different terms associated with it. The key point is, if you put this in front of them, they're actually willing to think about it again. And they've been journalists who said, we're going to rethink about this. We're not going to report on a random witness saying Allah Akbar anymore because we've just seen five examples in front of us where using that actually has been proven to be untrue because someone made it up and we just reported it. We're not going to do that anymore. And, and that was also helped by the fact that I think it was a Times reporter, if I'm not mistaken, who came up and told other people in that round table saying, you guys, I'm a, I'm a Times reporter on security issues. I am telling you, don't report when someone says Allahu Akbar and a witness state claims it. Don't put that as the headline or the main thing that happened. Because guess what? Here is an example that I went through and I was going through and it didn't, and it was wrong. It was false. It was made up. Because guess what? Witness statements on these types of things are unreliable. That's not just in Muslim related issues, it's more broadly. And he used the, the, the argument to be able to persuade others. So the question is, at that level, it's about getting decision makers to change. If the editor wants to change something, he can. Let me give you one final example. I know you. I know. I. I, I talk a lot. Um, I love Express, it. Listen, listen it's, it's, I'm fasting right now. It, it, takes, it makes my life easier. You just keep going. I'll, I'll just <laughs> um, cool. So, so you'll know the Express. The yeah. Express had almost on a daily basis. I think a hundred front pages. If I'm not mistaken, and, and the number may not be right. A hundred front pages in one year about immigrants in some way. Most of those weren't um, inaccurate in their, in their wording. I mean, it, they were things that happened. They were cherry-picked things. Like, let's say, for example, an immigrant committed an, uh, a rape, for example. It's disgusting and awful, but proportionately compared to everyone else, was that a big story? I mean, there are lots of, rape, lots of really bad incidents and crime stories that happen. What, what made it go to the front page was an immigrant had done it, for example, right? So they, they were, it was cherry-picked examples, not necessarily false, but cherry-picked, creating a misleading impression, which after one year, a hundred odd, and I'm making up the number, but um, there, there are a couple of people who've done really good studies of this, about immigrants. Or Gary Jones, who took over from, uh, as editor of The Express, and he told his newsroom, and he went in front of the newsroom saying, if you put a story about the immigrants, it will not get in the paper. It will not be a front page story. It's not going to happen. I, and, and he said to the Home Affairs Select Committee, if I'm not mistaken, yes, the media has been Islamophobic. My paper has been Islamophobic. He said that. And he has been very clear that he will not tolerate this anymore. And we have a very good relationship with him. You know, I'm not saying the Express are perfect now. I mean, their, their politics may not be a politics that I agree with. But he has taken a, a line that he will not take a sensationalist um, narrative that immigrants are a danger for our country yeah. approach to his newspaper. 
and he hasn't lost um, um, uh, circulation as far as I understand it compared to others. He's not gone negatively, but he's made that decision. And that was due to pressure. A lot of different people have that pressure. I mean, it's also because of him himself. And the key point is, it is possible for the leads to make such a big difference. And that's why, you know, building those relationships with some of these guys sometimes helps. It doesn't always help. It doesn't always resolve it. It doesn't um, um, make it perfect, but yeah. it can make things better and it can make things way better. And, 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 and the key point is to be there to push that and to encourage that to happen and to try our best. And, and, and I appreciate it. It's not perfect. All I can say is look at the results. We don't see daily examples of false stories anymore. We probably see um, weekly or monthly examples of narratively problematic stories, but we don't have inaccurate stories at the level that they were before. Is that because of the work we've done? Can't prove it. Is it perfect? Can't prove it. All I can say is that, look, you've seen the work that's happened and, and people are saying that they're walking on eggshells, they're being more careful, that the people who are saying that they know that people are monitoring, someone from the Times actually was saying that they know that people are monitoring on Islam and Muslims, actually referring directly to the work that, that I've been, was involved in, um, the Home Affairs, uh, this Times report, I think editor, was this an editor at the Times, I can't remember, in the Home Affairs Select Committee, he said, you need to monitor us and we'll have to be careful. So they, they, there's an acknowledgement, that was from the Daily Star guy, the Times guy, Trevor Kavanagh, all of these people who are, these aren't junior guys who are out there, these are senior decision makers, all recognizing that someone's doing this work, that someone's looking at this stuff, we need to be careful because they don't want to keep on having to correct stuff. They don't want there to be a, a, a collage possible which shows, look how bad this newspaper is. Some of them don't care, but many of them don't want that. It's bad for their reputation. It, uh, it hits some of, the, some of their, 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 their reputation, their willingness to say, we're much better than everyone else. You know, that, that sort of superiority that they want to say that they're not doing this stuff, right? They want to be able to talk about free speech, but they can't do that free speech stuff when they're inaccurate. So they've changed. I think there's been a change. Is it perfect? No. Is it a long journey to go? No. Yes, definitely. And that's something that we want to continue working on. So, so I, I think, you know, f for the majority of Muslims, um, one major cause of concern in this space is everything we've just been discussing, right? There's countless examples that you have from just five years ago where the media, and I know people don't like talking about the media as one big, you know, mafioso conglomerate, but... If we just talk about it in, in these terms, you know, the mainstream media have been Islamophobic by their own admission, right? And, and by countless examples that some you've elements, provided, yeah. some elements. But I think what that has led to, unfortunately, is then like a, a, a severe mistrust amongst Muslim communities and individuals of the media again. Because again, you know, people want to talk about nuance and some elements, right? But I think what, what, what sometimes people who are too involved in the work fail to understand is that as a, as a community, it's like it's an us and them thing. They are the media, whether you're you know, Channel 4, The Guardian, The Daily Mail, it's all the same. It's all one. Right? Now, I think the question here is that how do people begin to understand um, which outlets, how to, you know, basically media literacy. Uh, I think that's a, that's a really key and important thing. Agreed. But, very, very important. What, what, the way that we want to do this and make this better is by highlighting where that is the case. So you'll see in about three or four months' time, we're going to be putting out league table, okay? Uh, basically looking at all of the different news outlets mm -hmm. over looking at 80,000 articles, I believe, um, and assessing those 80,000 articles against 12 different criteria. Is it positive or negative? 
Is it misrepresenting? Is it using bad terminology? Is it um, got bad imagery? Has it got, uh, is it generalizing about Muslims rather than talking about specific, you know, everything that you care about, we've asked. And this is a, a massive piece of work, 80,000 articles manually looking through 12 different uh, uh, criteria about each one, assessing all of them, and then basically creating a league table. So making it very clear, here are the news outlets that have done a really bad job, and here are the news outlets who've done a very good job. And we, we've done this over 10,000 articles in a, in a quarter uh, about two years ago. We're now looking over a whole year's period to basically um, cover, and this is still, um, you know, this, this was is, it, is that looking at just Muslim issues or everything? Muslim issues specifically. Muslim issues specifically, okay. Only Muslim-related issues. Only looking to, uh, what we do is uh, we have this criteria looking at 50 words, which are Muslim-related words, Muslim, um, Islam, Islamist, Islamic, Muslim, uh, you know, all those types of words hijab, um, and, and, and basically any article that has, mentions any of these words or any broadcast. So we also monitor broadcasts. So BBC, um, BBC News 24, um, uh, Channel 4 News, um, Channel 5 News, uh, et cetera. And, and basically looking at all, and Sky News, sorry, and ITV News, we, we basically look at all of these and we actually, we get transcriptions of all of them and we search for those words in, in there. And again, we look at every single one of those clips throughout the whole year and make an assessment. It's a massive job, as you can imagine. And we will then be able to tell you with, with, you know, with relative certainty what the scale of the issue is in, in, in the year that we looked at um, and what the key challenges are. And we're hoping that we can use the tool that we have in place to actually look, uh, we're creating, we're creating a, a way to make it, hopefully automate some of this stuff. Um, and we'll be able to start then giving you trends if we can get that automation done. And that will be really powerful. But, but at the moment, we'll be able to give you a leak table. We'll tell you, here is what's good, here's what's bad. And, and in principle, I can tell you before, you know, what, what, what are certain- Can, can you? I, I would love to know. Please do. I mean, look, there's certain news outlets, yeah. like, like um, in particular, like The Spectator, which are virulently problematic in, in every single way. Um, and, and, and whether it's the generalizing, whether it's the accuracy, whether it's the, the very biased nature of it, whatever um, a criteria you want to use, the spectator is up there amongst the worst. Um, and, and, and actually, so is the Jewish Chronicle, and so is the Times. And the Times is, is better on some things because it has, because proportionately, it does some normal stories as well, like on Ramadan and other things. Um, so this is, this is the thing only to be honest only because of you did I start to realize how problematic the times was um, and, and, and that's my concern as well is that you know when it comes to internalizing and, and, and within Muslim communities actually understanding the scale of, of problems that exist in society and problems with the Muslim community yeah. you, you, it, it, the credibility element is really important right where if you don't understand and appreciate the biases of these platforms and and the you know the problematic nature of some of them then you can start to drink the kool-aid so to speak you can start oh to very believe, much and, and that's, one of the the narrative. Things, uh, that, that's really why it's so important that some of the con consequences and evidence base that we've created help prove the points that we're making you know right, mm. right? It, it, it's difficult to argue against evidence i mean people will just ignore it of course but the those who want to look at this thing properly will now have a basis on which they can make these judgments. And we, we are going to, to show a lot of this in a way that, that perhaps hasn't been seen before. Uh, and, and whilst 
I can give you anecdotal examples. This will be proven examples over tens of thousands of articles as the basis, right? So it's a, it's a much stronger rationale. And, and I think that as much as is possible, where some of the outcomes that we, we, we identify can be shared as broadly as possible, that's how the media, media literacy understanding improves, right? The more people understand that actually broadcast news is principally significantly better than print news. Will be will be aware of that, but some people don't know that. Um, some people will be aware that actually local news is some of the best compared to even national news. Some people may not be aware of that, but that's a really important insight. Um, certain news outlets, like religious publications in particular, like uh, Jewish Chronicle, and actually sometimes even um, other, even Christian um, Today, I think it is. Um, I, I'll need to check, but will be coming out. Are worse because they sometimes create this, you know persecution of, by Muslims issue, which, which, which takes a major role in, in, their, in their outlook. The Jewish Chronicle is by far, I think it's by far, or it's definitely up, up, up the, near the top of, of, of uh, its stories about Islam and Muslims. Um, uh, and then obviously you have uh, uh, The Spectator, which is genuinely awful. So this stuff can all be shown and proven. And the more that people can share it, the more people that can be aware of it, more people can learn about it, the better. And and I just uh, to be honest, in terms of time, I, I wanted to discuss the MCB a lot about MCB, but I I I know, I know we have to to end soon. Um, probably won't get enough time for that. I I wanted to ask. Um, this is for my own interest, but also other people. You know, in, in the UK, we've got GB News. Um, soon to be launched or launching or whatever. Firstly, uh, just as a, as as an aside, do you think your good friend Pierce Morgan is going to join them? No idea. He's not my good friend necessarily. Um, he, he was kind to me a couple of times, calling me um, smart or whatever on, on on social media, and he was kind when I, when I was there in on ITV. But but um, I, I wanted I want I, the more serious question was actually understanding your assessment currently. I know it, it's it's too soon to tell, but but given the individuals like Andrew Neil who are involved in the infrastructure, um, I I believe from what I've seen, and I could be well off the mark, and, and you'll probably know better, but I believe that this is going to be uh, almost like the legitimizing of a more right-wing um, understanding or frame or narrative that, that you've been working the last few years to kind of um, make less mainstream. And, and in fact, you know, people have been making less mainstream by deplatforming individuals on social media and everything else. Now, my concern is that give this 10 to 15 years, if this becomes normal and the kind of vitriol that we're expected to hear on this kind of platform um, with the opinions and everything else, there could be this, this mass normalization of Islamophobia and, and everything kind of concerning. So I just wanted, I, I guess, you know, your own thoughts from what you've seen of, of what you believe the platform to be and, and the potential uh, implications of it. Uh, in sort of wider society, specifically, obviously, pertaining to Muslims? Yeah, look, we can't know for sure, but all the indications suggest that, that much of what you said is, 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 is a big risk. And with some of the individuals who seem to be most interested in this or, or joining, it does give the impression that this seems to be mainly more right-wing journalists, spectator-type journalists who... Um, who come from a perspective that 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 is more hostile towards some of the liberal values on on immigration, on on on, on diversity, on on inclusion than, than than one might think. But I think the most we it, it, there is a big risk, and 
I don't think there's a way to res respond, you know, to do anything. There are people who are out there who want to come abroad. And, and, and the, the biggest problem is where you have people who are really good journalists who have this perspective. Like Andrew Neil, if you look at his interviews with some of these politicians, his interviews are actually, you know, really some good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some of the best out there. He's done his research and he's put stuff out there. The problem that you have is that sometimes you see, you know, when he makes a mistake on, on, on social media, he doesn't want to admit that he got it wrong. He just doesn't, you know, he shares stuff from the spectator, from Andy Ngo and people like that who are really, really virulently Islamophobic in terms of some of the stuff that they they put out there and, and, and some of the items, you know, if you look at Andy Ngo's thing when he came to Britain, he said, oh, Britain is all like, a, um, uh, it's like a Sharia zones and uh, all this kind of nonsense. Like it, it's astonishing that those types of people are people are the types of people who get published in the spectator and that andrew neil seems to be retweeting and sharing their views and and, it, and, it, and it's really 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 problematic that that happens you know neo-nazi views get shared on, on, on in the spectator and i think being shared by by, by some of the, the, the some of these people who have worked and, and been involved with the spectator and that's really 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 problematic um I, but we can't know all we can do unfortunately is keep an eye on it and ensure you know that's going to result in a whole load of work for us to do in the, in terms of assessing everything your, your, your team must be uh, licking their lips at the prospect of, of <laughs> I mean, more, more work remember, to do right but 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 you don't want to be making all these complaints it's really really difficult yeah, yeah. to do i mean one complaint one complaint i, I remember doing a complaint i wrote a, a you know half page just explaining the issue i got a five page response 10 page response from a qc responding to me that's scary, you know, in terms of having to, to deal with that. And then you have to respond and the response back. And it's, it's a painful process. Mm. Um, and, and, it's, and it's really draining. And as, as is very well known, one of the biggest successes of racism is diverting those communities from progressing and instead having to fight the racism they're facing. And, yeah. you know, and that's a big challenge that, you know, I'm spending time doing that rather than progression. And that's, a, that's, that's not what we want to do. So I would also note that there is, you know, Byline TV, which, is, which looks like it might be put out there, which, which again has, has had some really big coups as well. You know, Matthew Wright seems to be moving there. Um, they, they seem to be getting some, some good, really good stories in, in, on, on, on Byline. So um, from people like Nafiz Masada Ahmed put some really good pieces out recently. You know, I can imagine that as the media landscape develops and, and, and um, expands, uh, hopefully, we will also get some very positive um, stuff out there as well. So this is I, I, this is where I wanted to end, right? And and uh, the, the the more positive, or I guess the response side. So how how do how do you think we can address this? How is it being addressed? You mentioned the byline TV, um, but but if if we could, you know, it's, it's Ramadan. Let's try and be positive and and you know feel the barakah. What, what what do you think is the kind of more positive outlook on the future? Because you know, let's say with the work that you're doing um, with the media monitoring. That that puts a a relative kind of curb and control on the the nonsense that's previously been going out. Now, when it comes to like positively and addressing the more narrative based stuff, what can we do? What is being done, and and what's the future um, as you see it? So let's note that a big think tank which put out the narrative about Muslims and Mus uh, grooming gangs is now no longer there. Quilliam Foundation is gone. I, I mean, I'm. I shouldn't, well, I don't know if I shouldn't. I happen to be smiling at this moment in time. Um, and there's a reason for that, right? Uh, what we need to do is have people and think tanks and groups in these spaces 
who can put out narratives that are actually reflective of actually what's going on. Um, and we started having that. There is a Muslim think tank which has been, which has been set up, um, uh, which is starting to put some things out there in the public space. And, and there are people who are now understanding the, the groups like Henry Jackson Society and the, 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 the vile when it comes to Muslims that have been put out from them and the lies that have, they've had to pay libel damages for um, are, are problematic. Other people still take whatever they say on board and just um, report it. I mean, we can't do anything about that. But what, what we can try and do is ensure that more people are aware of these issues. And, and, and so um, that's a big thing, information sharing. And then obviously it's about lobbying and advocacy. Try and get those, um, those people who are making these bad decisions to make better decisions. Again, they may not listen to us and then support those alternative media outlets as well. Um, let's just realize at this moment in time though, that some of the biggest news outlets still get the biggest traction and trust ratings. BBC gets significant, I think the highest trust rating out of almost any other new news outlet out there, 70% plus if I'm not mistaken. Like it's, it's really substantial you know, in terms of the trust that happens with BBC. So what we want is the biggest institutions also to improve and you know, work with them to improve. I mean, I, I met with the quite senior people within the BBC um, uh, from the editorial director, director general and others within, the within that space. And you know, by me, I mean the, the broader team as well. Um, within MCB and within the Center for Media Monitoring, we've tried to make change uh, for the better. Uh, and by make change, I mean just share our perspectives on, on difficult issues. And some of them people agree with and some of them they disagree. And, and that's that dialogue, that's the thing that we want to move to the right direction. So what can we do? Get involved. Think Tank World. As a journalist, as an alternative media outlet, um, making sure that when people do things wrong, we highlight it sharing information about the um, media literacy so that can improve understanding sharing friends um, sharing information about religious literacy so people improve but recognizing that a lot of this is a symptom of the islamophobic views that are held across society and really the biggest way to try and resolve some of these things is not just through the media entity itself the media which is a big part of it but also through the politicians who are spouting a lot of this hatred in the past historically and and stopping the issue of islamophobia which is structural within for example the conservative party in my view and and resolving some of these issues and highlighting them and trying to tackle them and the more we can do in all of these spaces and the problem is there's so much the more we can do in all of these spaces together they help make things better it's not a one thing only one stopping one thing in one place doesn't resolve it stopping things in all of these spaces makes a difference and if we have less islamophobia in society and less Islamophobia coming out of the media, and less Islamophobia coming from politicians, well, that's only going to be good for all of us in the future. Um, well, th thank you. Uh, that, that was a little bit positive. <laughs> it's a lot of work. The thing is, it's obviously everything that we're discussing and, and, and what I'm asking for and, and what we need as a Muslim community requires a lot of work from a lot of individuals in those of different areas. And, and I think the, the, the frustrating thing for me is that it's not an overnight process. It's very long. Like, you know, you talk about five years compared to now. The fact is that, you know, it, I, I remember the early days and, and, and now I guess it's more significant that w when I see you share um, a, a win or, you know, something that's been corrected, I thought it was just like one of 50. Um, but I, I realize now that you're kind of only it, sharing. We, we still share some. I don't, I don't want to say that I, I'm sharing everything, but I'm sharing... Yeah. Um, but there no, but, are fewer than there were. But, but th this is what I mean, right? It was, I, I think for me, it was, it was almost like frustrating seeing that people would even run with these stories in the first place, that you had to call it out for it to be changed. But um, there is progress. So, you know, I, I, I guess, you know, um, 
thank you in one way from from myself and from other people for like the work that you have done and are continuing to do and hopefully you're able to kind of do more of this um and i i do want to have the mcp conversation at some point as well so we should probably do this again um because i think there's that's a whole separate thing about talking about politics um and and how we kind of engage and get involved in that space um and i guess for me the big question is if and how there is potential for for muslims and muslim organizations to really make an impact and, and be involved um but that's unfortunately a conversation for another time um yeah thank you again for for, for joining me and uh unless you have any any final remarks then uh i'll see you around i guess <laughs> sounds good <laughs> thank you very much thanks Salim. all right thank you so that was my conversation with Mcdad. Um, like I mentioned at the beginning, uh, it's it's actually quite amazing to think the impact that work is is having, and it's a shame that even I, for example, wasn't as aware of the 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 real impact that it has, um, because you kind of see this stuff. And like I said, I've been on on Mcdad's uh, WhatsApp broadcast list for a long time, and I'll see the, the the little wins that are coming in and whatever else, but actually not realizing the impact that it can have at a much deeper level. But it, for me, it just shows what a, a little bit of um, hard work and tenacity um, can do. But ultimately, I think the main thing is about strategy. Um, the fact that there was a very clear way of trying to do this and systematically going about it was is what has yielded the the, the results that it has. So yeah like I, i'm 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 a little bit in awe i mean mcdog for anyone that knows him personally seems to not sleep at all because he's just constantly um doing amazing things in so many different ways and runs his own business and everything else genuinely someone i think you know we can look up to in the community and and, and be grateful that we have someone like him um serving the muslim community especially in the uk um but yeah that's that's it i guess for another podcast uh, be sure to subscribe if you haven't already. Um, five stars, nice review. You know, follow us on YouTube. All the usual disclaimers I have at the end of a podcast. Um, but thank you guys, and we will be back next week, inshallah. Take care.